Hey, before the show starts today, we just wanted to let folks know that this episode of Voyager depicts a failed pregnancy, and we know that that can be a tough subject for some people, so just adds up, it does come up in this episode. Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your bad travels. I'm Luke. I'm Captain Catherine Janeway of the USS Voyager. Captain Catherine Janeway of the USS Voyager. Welcome to The Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are just a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Boy, it has been such a long time since we've done a Bible study, Marin Adam, but we now have the show Bible for Star Trek colon Voyager. Ben, you're always trying to cram the Bible down my throat. Greatest Gen's <laughs> Ned Flanders over there. Mm-hmm. Give it a rest, man. I'm going to give it a thump and let's just see let's just see how it sounds. <laughs> All right. Not very impressive. It's it's just a packet of paper inside of a weird cardboard box. Just the important stuff. It's good to see you all in church. It's called the Bible. That's the way God wants it. I don't know why, dude. All these questions is a little blind faith too much to ask. All right, so this is uh, this was sent in by a uh, friend of DeSoto as the writer-director's guide for the first season, so it's a little bit out of date at this point. What are we looking at, like 20 pages? Thereabouts? 15, a mere 15 pages. The Deep Space Nine Bible had, like, the first page was like, here's what the show is about, and then the rest of it was just characters. Is that what you're looking at? Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of, we've got a... Uh, section on show premise and backstory and then we've got a section on the Voyager itself and the Maquis and then character descriptions continuing characters they are called wow well after watching this episode I think I could use some knowledge about the Kess character because I think I'm more confused about Kess than ever and when you're confused about any subject the one place you should turn to is obviously the Bible right (laughs) the answers to all of your questions are there Mm mm-hmm yeah (laughs) especially about reproduction right Uh, this is uh, a section on Neelix and Kess they're they're one one section they're, uh, they're so much an item. Kess doesn't even get her own section. What a bummer. Yeah. It's like, it's like they don't even treat her like a whole person. <laughs> I mean, they don't treat Neelix like a whole person either. But no, that's, that's fair. a more yeah. understandable choice. <laughs> uh, Neelix is an alien male, unlike any we've ever seen, in that he comes from a part of the galaxy that has been heretofore unexplored. He's a strange one, small, squat, and charming. He's part scavenger, trader, con man, procurer, and sage. His life has not been an easy one, but he's toughed it out, surviving by his wits and instincts in a dangerous part of space. Neelix has developed the capacity to be all things to all people. You want a guide? I'm a guide. You want a weapon? I'm an arms trader. You want to cook? I'm a gourmet chef. He's the ultimate in flexibility and a jack of many, many trades. He's kind of like Steven his... Seagal in Under Siege, except <laughs> none of the things that make Steven Seagal cool in that movie. Yeah. The thing that is surprising is that there isn't like parenthetical hold for laughter after each <laughs> one of those descriptions. Uh, yeah. Kess is his Okampa lover. She's delicate, 
beautiful, young, and has a lifespan of only nine years. Neelix adores her, is protective of her, is insanely jealous of her. Tess doesn't give him any reason for those feelings. She loves Neelix and is loyal to him, but she is inquisitive and eager to absorb knowledge about the starship and its fascinating crew. She is an innocent who sees humanity through a fresh perspective, and the crew of Voyager never cease to fascinate her. Neelix is the, quote, cook in the officer's mess. It's a job he wrangled to get himself and Cass a comfortable life on this luxurious starship. Because of the huge power drain that replicators place on the ship's systems, the crew must, for the first time in years, eat real food. Neelix knows where to find it and how to prepare it, and before long, he's invaluable. I mean, I wouldn't go that far. (laughs) He also enjoys being right in the heart of things, and where else is that but the officer's mess? He knows when to listen, when to keep quiet, and when to speak up, and the crew find that he can be a valuable repository of information. Kess helps him cook and serve, but she'd much rather be roaming the ship, getting to know the people. Neelix can never seem to find her when he needs her, and he's always sure she's standing up in a closet with a sailor. Yowza! Whoa! (laughs) What a way to put that. (laughs) Yeah, somehow like a 1930s guy got into the writer's room for this one sentence. Who's the author of the show Bible? Random Grandpa? (laughs) Their relationship is offbeat, wry, and funny, and allows us insights into a uniquely alien relationship. Yeah, <laughs> I will co-sign to that. Neelix and Kess, a truly odd couple, become oblique commentators on the human condition. And that is the last page of the show Bible. Whoa. So, uh, verily, it's the revelations of Star Trek Voyager. <laughs> the horse of the apocalypse... It, uh, it really written is. by Neelix. Mm-hmm. It really ends on a very gloomy note, <laughs> the show Bible. So ends the reading, Ben. Yeah. Uh, a piece of the quadrant to you. And also to you, Adam. Wow, I'm not sure that illuminated much of anything for me. It really does not feel like the thing that... We'll get into it, obviously, in this episode. There's some stuff that they really needed to do more about to make it either like seem less gross than it seems or to make it clear that they condemn how gross it is, you know? And it like from that show Bible, it doesn't feel like they really grappled with the ramifications of that. Like, I think that you could write Cass in a way that grapples with the ramifications of her species aging Mm -hmm. and maturing on a much different timeline than we're used to. Like they're, that's a possibility, and it just doesn't seem like they did it. This mistake gets made all the time in all kinds of ways in so many areas of our lives, which is like when you choose not to take a position on a thing, often that vacuum gets filled by people speculating on what your position might be. Right. It forces many people too often to just like take a position on everything. <laughs> but in the case of character development specifically, yeah, I think the show suffers for not taking a position on Kiss and allowing this vacuum to be filled by snarky Star Trek podcasters of today and maybe anyone who watches the show in the mid-90s. Like, I've got to believe that, like, it's not just us. I think it was weird in the mid-90s that this was happening, and it's just so easy. It feels like with a stitch of dialogue, 
you could have really given yourself some help here yeah with the whole cast neelix thing a stitch is literally what it would have taken like in episode one or two you've got time just like whip panda paris oh so she ages like a dog okay (laughs) (laughs) am i making any sense here it would have been very wise but they they didn't do it well i feel a renewed sense of purpose adam now that i've uh consulted my bible do you want to get into the episode that we came to talk about uh we have no choice Ben, to dig on into Star Trek Voyager Season 2, Episode 4, Elogium. A word that I'm glad you pronounced in the last episode of Greatest Gen, and I'm glad we get several runs at it in this episode. Elogium. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. I went to a Dodgers game over the weekend, Oh, yeah. How was that? And I sat... uh, I sat in what I thought was the lodge section, which is the second mm, deck. That was not the lodge. The the fucking guy corrected me right away. Oh, you're you're talking about the loge. <laughs> yeah, that's where you go for that. I actually recently lost a lot of money because I've been investing in loja coin. Right, uh, and I'm sure you know that uh, my favorite actor ever, Robert Loja. <laughs> This episode opens with your boy Chakotay catching a Starfleet and a Maquis making out in the turbo lift. We're just, uh, yes, I can see that. This begins Chakotay's metamorphosis into Principal Skinner from The <laughs> Simpsons. From, from, for the entire episode, he is Skinner because why does he care? He walks in on a turbo lift makeout sesh with a couple of randos, and he takes great umbrage with this. Mm, I haven't seen such unfettered hurly-burly since the fall of Saigon. I think that the why he cares question is actually answered in a, in a later scene, but this does kind of feel like him acting on something that is policy that is later revealed not to be policy. You know, on a Maquis ship, uh, any fraternizing was, was totally prohibited. That's probably yeah. what... What he's got such a hard time with. Punishable by death. He's just restraining himself from choking these two. The Maquis were celibate. That's why they were so upset. (laughs) Well, we don't get a a ton of time with these people because Paris and Cass come uh, onto the turbo lift with him. Ben, how'd you like to be one of these actors? Like, no dialogue? (laughs) Actually, you do get dialogue because one of them says sorry, right? Yeah, I think I, I think the the fella gets a, a a line and the lady does not. Oof, that's rough yeah. for the lady. You just you get in a costume, you get into makeup, you you get your turbo lift makeout with some rando. Yeah, and, you don't get and a you're line. You're not even paid as a U five or any like you're just as as an extra. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the guy is is a uh, pretty handsome. He's like main cast handsome, I would say. Yeah, I mean, if the mood strikes and you're in a turbo lift with him, I mean. Why not? You'd probably throw him some of that. I would, uh, that's a a sailor I would stand up right in a closet with. (laughs) What's the term? (laughs) Yeah, this is such a pecs bad boy. We run into this every time we read a show Bible, just some weird turn of phrase that that some old puts in there. He's always sure she's standing up in a closet with a sailor. (laughs) She's standing up in a closet that a sailor has just been in, but, uh, Right. She's she's got the the box from the farm share, as does Paris, and mm-hmm. uh, they bring these into Neelix, who 
uh, as discussed, uh, goes off on one of his big jealousy trips. Here's the cabbage you asked for. Is something wrong? And, um, I mean, I think that it's interesting that they've started to imply that the doctor uh, holds a bit of a candle for Cass, because I really don't get the feeling from Paris that he he does anymore. Yeah. But all of Neelix's jealousy is is laser-focused on Tom Paris, and he starts kind of ripping into Cass. Like, they find a bug in the in the lettuce and she's admiring the striations and Neelix is totally preoccupied. And it's like one of those like Twitter memes. It's like, say you're an asshole to women without saying you're an asshole to women is Uh basically what, what Neelix is doing right now. Yeah. Not a good look for Neelix. Not a good episode for Neelix really. Yeah. Like great episode for this beetle though. Yeah. Beetle. Great episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Neelix does not like his cabbages handled by another man. Yeah. And uh, just can't stand it. And poor, I mean, the thing is, like, Paris is always suspect number one for philandering, uh, which just means that the the social experiment run by Harry Kim has been 100% successful up to this point. No one suspects him. The Tom Paris smokescreen is in perfect yeah. working order. Yeah. I keep going back and forth on this because Neelix says, like, you're you're innocent. You don't know how men think, mm-hmm. which is an incredibly condescending thing for a man to say to a woman. But we find out in this episode that Kess is not even two years old. Yeah. So it's not. It's uh, <laughs> it's parenting a child, I guess. Uh, it's maybe? so fucked up. Uh. <laughs> if they'd just given us a mental framework to work with. That's the least they could have done for us. The least. Yeah. So senior staff to the bridge, Paris says ta-ta to kiss, which, you know, Neelix starts ripping these leaves asunder. And we cut up to the bridge where Paris and Chakotay uh, meet Captain Janeway and Kim and Tuvok, uh, who have discovered an interesting energy reading in space. There's coffee in that strange energy configuration off the port bow. They've got an A story off their port bow. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it seems like an A story as they scan it, but it kind of winds up being the B story, which is one of the many things that is interesting about this episode. The wonder of this scene is shattered by a Chakotay who sees this as an opportunity to become even less popular (laughs) on the show and with the crew by choosing this moment to propose an anti-fraternization policy aboard the ship. Yeah, it's it's interesting. The I mean it is a dilemma, right? Like what like what what are we going to do and and Janeway gives some voice to that. Like we we never planned on this, so you know, it means something different to have fraternization on a ship that nobody can like easily leave and go live on Earth. Yeah, but Chicote needs to mind his own bindle because implementing social policy to a workplace never works. All that being said, like, I am glad that they're having this conversation on the show, because I think that this is one of the many interesting dilemmas of the Voyager. And I feel like there was so much just like this nebula turned out to be a person in season one that we didn't get these conversations. I want to be clear, like, I'm not anti the question. I think I might just be anti its articulation or who it's coming from, because there's such a... There's such a mismatch between the proposition from Chakotay and how Captain Janeway interprets it and works through it, both mentally and through her dialogue. Like She's so compassionate about the different sides of this argument, while Chakotay is like hostile in a way that shows very little humanity. 
Why the very name is racist. I thought it was very interesting because they're kind of having this conversation just off in a corner of the bridge and it's kind of a, a hushed mm-hmm. conversation, but they're right near the op station where Kim is sitting and Kim actually has a, a phaser that he, he puts he puts up to the maximum setting and just kind of has under his desk. Like a good bartender at a at a rough edge of town bar. Yeah, and, and, and he's kind of watching this conversation to see how it goes. And then when Chicote kind of gets shut down, he, he turns the phaser off and puts it away. I thought that was very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, this policy would affect Kim the most, clearly. <laughs> I mean, like, I think you're making a, a great point, which is like, if this was Riker, what would he be advocating for it in this way? Like, one of the sexiest Star Trek characters would would maybe take a different tack on this. And I think that part of the problem is that Chakotay has gotten such a disservice from the writer's room in terms of it. Like, I don't know if he even has a relationship back at home. Like, at least with, with Janeway, we can make mention of Tom Mervyn's and her intention mm-hmm. of seeing him again. Whether or not there is that person waiting for him, there just isn't, as a baseline for his character, a sense of empathy for anyone else. And so to hear the idea of this policy coming from Chicote, it feels like he's projecting a weird hostile incel energy to the conversation and I don't like it. We were working together to solve a problem in a crisis situation. Not cool. Well, <laughs> if he'd won the argument, Kim would have wasted him and it would have been a moot point. Yeah. Yeah. So uh the ship gets taken to bioscanner range, which I didn't know was a thing <laughs> until this very moment. It's close, but not too close. Yeah. And uh, space is full of sperm. It is a true gross out, out those windows. I'm just going to say it doesn't look great out there. Not a good effect. <laughs> it remains not a good looking effect throughout the episode. Yeah. I wonder if they ever do the HD remaster of this show, if they'll... Because this is just like early CG, like they tried to make creatures. I mean, it's the same. It's the best they could do. It's the best they could do. It it, it, uh, is very evocative of the Galaxy's Child CG, which is also notably not that great. And, you know, looks better in HD, but isn't great, you know. They punch in into one of these little beings and sure as shit. It's got Commander Riker's face. Like, <laughs> even out here. He blasted so far and so long that yeah. uh, even the Delta Quadrant. It's uh, you, you shine a blue light in the Delta Quadrant, you're going to get some Riker. You're going to get Riker, Riker DNA. <laughs> yeah. I like the cut, though, from the creatures on the view screen to the creature in uh, Cass's hand. She's got the uh, the bug. She puts on a leaf down in the uh, hydroponics bay. She's uh, tending to some tomato plants and just kind of absentmindedly sticks her hand in a bucket full of bugs and takes a big old chomp like she's relishing in her body. Vitamins. They do wonders for the body. Yeah, I mean, you, you get a bunch of these beetles and, uh, you know, you season them with some lime. Mm-hmm. Some, uh, a little some- chili. Some chili, you get a you get a handful of those. That's that's a delicious snack, protein Make, filled. Makes a good taco. Yeah, makes a good taco. Makes a good ballpark snack if you're up in Seattle. You know, you can get one of those at a baseball game up there. You get a no get kidding. a bowl of them. Wow, 
It's a nice low carbon protein source. But in the context of Star Trek, you get a checker for a nobin at this point, right? Because anytime you're eating bugs, you're either a Ferengi or you've got a nubbin. Right. And in this part of space, the nubbin bugs may be running things, you know? God. Don't answer this question, but wouldn't it be great if we saw nubbins out here in the Delta Quadrant? It would make sense. It would tie the whole story together. The answer to your question is yes, it would be great. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I don't want you to confirm or deny it, though. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna live in my disappointment. <laughs> nice turn to camera to theme song here by Jennifer yeah. Lee, and that's that's a big fun physical moment. Yeah, turn to camera in horror. Yeah, is, uh, yeah, great because way to she realized like she's sort of absentmindedly been eating the Beatles until mm-hmm. until she's presentmindedly doing it. Yeah, she kind of like a lot of us over this past year notices what she's been eating and is horrified. All yeah, of a I mean, sudden. before you know it, the entire bag of Beatles is gone. Yeah. You've, Fuck. Yeah. I guess this low-level persistent trauma really is affecting me. <laughs> After the theme song, they can't really get their arms around why they're still moving. Like, the helm isn't answering their stop and reverse order. Yeah. It appears as though they're being sucked into this swarm. It, it, this happens every time there's a creature in space, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it should just be like standard Starfleet procedure that if there's a creature in space, keep your fucking distance. They're like, yeah. they're either two dimensional and pulling you toward a black hole or a nebula that wants to eat you or something. Ensign Wildman is the xenobiologist on the bridge crew, and I would have bet you any amount of money that she'd be dead by the end of the episode, but <laughs> she manages to survive and... I feel like she may have recently lost a parent because one of the things we know about slickbacks is that uh, mm, yeah. you lose a parent, you slick back your hair in honor of the character that you're modeling your behavior yeah. from. And Ensign Wildman has the hairstyle of a Captain Janeway. She's one of Janeway's orphans. and uh, <laughs> She'll have what she's having uh, <laughs> at the salon. Yeah. Do you think that that's like a seven habits of highly effective people move? She's like, I'm going to I'm going to like move my way up in the ranks. I'm going to get some lines on this show. By- it's not dress for the job that you want. It's get the haircut of the job that you want. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm going to flatter the captain by kind of jacking her swagger. So she's the reason I can't get an appointment. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yeah, they're looking at, at these creatures, um, you know, trying to, trying to wrap their minds around it. And we cut down to Kessa's quarters where she is just binging. She's, she's scarfing down food left and right, uh, anything she can get her hands on. One of an actor's greatest challenges is eating this much, this fast on yeah. camera. Yeah. God, this looks tough. It looks fun, <laughs> but it looks so difficult. <laughs> I mean, this is in the script. Like, Jennifer Lean doesn't even get a choice here. The the problem with mashed potatoes, on-screen mashed potatoes, is that they can really only be a heavy starch. Like, you can't... I feel like with a lot of foods, you could fake it with a, with a less-than-dense type of food. Yeah. But if you're doing take-after-take take with starch mud, <laughs> it doesn't get any better. <laughs> 
I mean, I think fortunately this is a pretty short shot with a cut and there's no other actors in it. So she doesn't have to rely on anyone else to nail the take. Yeah. But it's, it's got a camera move and it's like, it's either on a steady cam or on like a boom or something, which can be tricky. Like you need a few runs at that usually. And, and she's definitely swallowing the food too. So, so there's like at least, I mean, there may be a spit bucket, but there's, there's, you know, she, she's getting a meal on set that day. You're not going to see Jennifer Lee at craft services yeah. uh, later. <laughs> God, that's, that is rough. Kes is going to eat the fucking ship, Adam. Yeah, she's got a hunger on big time. And uh, it's a shameful hunger because when Neelix arrives with an apology bouquet, she hides all of the food in, in a coat closet type situation, a coat closet that Neelix searches while looking for a vase. And yeah. it's like when someone hide, like when a child hides the mess in their closet, like you give them the chore and they stuff everything <laughs> in the closet and then the parent opens the closet door and then all the shit falls out. Yeah. Classic blunder. Yeah. It, this scene devolves into him physically removing her from the room while she tries to eat the bouquet of flowers. I'm not going. We are going to sit there. No. no security unless you come at me. She's explaining all this stuff she's eating, and it's like, it's not even good stuff, right? She made uh, mashed potatoes, but she dumped a bag of dirt in it. She's going absolutely crazy. She's just trying to get as much matter in her body as she can. Is that is that called pica? That, uh, I'm that not thing familiar. where you eat like dirt and, and detergent and stuff? I've not heard of this. It's like a, I, th- I think it's like a, a thing that happens to pregnant women sometimes, which I, I'm guessing is what they're going I, for. I here. thought it was the sort of thing I'd have to listen to the Savage Lovecast to know. <laughs> it's um, where you cram a bunch of dirt in your urethra. <laughs> yeah. It's the only way I can blast. And yeah. it is extremely messy. Hey, Dan, uh, this is Ben, uh, late 30s, live in uh, Southern California, straight cis male poly pica. Uh, <laughs> anyways, I had a question for you. <laughs> That's the one kink that Dan Savage is, it's is like not super, approving of. He's like, no, no, do not. <laughs> if you had to power hour a food... And do shots of it. How wow. many shots of mashed potatoes do you think you could do before you had to tap out? <sighs> that is a tough question. I feel like I can eat kind of a huge amount of mashed potatoes. I think so too, but it looks like Kess is doing a shot's amount of potatoes, like spooning it in, like in a yeah. shot dosage. Yeah. Made me think of it that way. Can I get gravy? Is gravy available to me if I'm... You know how much fun it is to do oyster shooters where the oysters like in the uh, in the tomato broth. <laughs> like I feel like if you coated the inside of a shot glass with gravy and then put your dollop of potatoes wow. in there, how fucking great would that shot be, dude? Knocking. It'd slide right out. <laughs> do we need to add an elosium square to the game of buttholes? The will of the caretaker that we- forces us to. <laughs> We should never own a bar (laughs) because that would be wildly unpopular. (laughs) So Neelix carries Kess to Six Bay. He kind of picks her up in his arms and walks her out into the hallway. And we cut away to 
the bridge where... Do you think that Ethan Phillips intentionally missed the comm badge on the call to Six Bay and they kept it anyway? Or this was an intended miss before oh, hitting did he not have his call, comm badge on? He misses it with the first swipe and then because he's so... He's so fucked up by the scene. Oh, wow. It's a great choice if it was a choice by Ethan Phillips. I thought it was great. I was doing something else during that part of the episode, so I didn't notice it. You were you were cramming dirt into your urethra? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You the only way I can blast. <laughs> well, I've got to get that platinum, get that robe enlargement. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name and not a giant social media company's name with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24x7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! 
Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Back on the bridge, not only is the ship being pulled into the swarm, they can't raise shields. Yeah, shit's shit's really falling apart. They're starting to get like power fluctuations and stuff. It's no good. They can't raise the shields because Kess has used all the power on the replicator making all his mashed potatoes. (laughs) The swarm has control now. Yeah, BLT has this great idea. Like, if they're going to be going into the swarm and they don't want to hurt the swarm, maybe uh, putting a cow catcher up front of the ship would work. And and her terminology is a targ scoop. Klingons put them on the front of ground assault vehicles. They emit a high-frequency tone that disperses targ herds in their path. It's a, it's a thing that, that they can use the deflector dish for to sort of nudge these beings out of the way so they can escape without hurting them. It's a great idea. It's an idea that is planted here and paid off so much later in the episode. I was shocked. <laughs> yeah. You sort of forget about Chekhov's Targ scoop. You really do. Till it drops. We cut down to Six Bay where the doctor is trying very hard to help Cass. And Neelix is making it so much about himself that uh, the doctor winds up having to red card Neelix and eject him from the game. This is a scene you see a lot in a medical drama. The parent of a child or the partner of a patient. Yeah. Like just flying off the handle and being the problematic Focus on one. me. Yeah. Focus on me. Yeah. And the doctor is trying to focus on the patient. You are making it impossible for me to think, much less treat my patient. After being thrown out, I love the cut to because we cut back to the bridge where Neelix has gone directly in order to snitch on the doc. <laughs> and then what's funny in like throwing the scene back at six bay the doc summons <laughs> captain janeway to six bay so neelix is racking up a lot of steps on yeah, the pedometer he really is yeah he's 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 psyched that he uh put his apple watch on that day the and, trouble uh, is uh neelix should be wearing a different kind of pedometer if you know what i'm saying mm. <laughs> you get it <laughs> It's weird that they put Pedo right in the name. <laughs> yeah. The problem in Six Bay is that Cass has locked herself in the doctor's office and put up a force field behind her. And she's like up on the desk like, uh, I don't know what how else to describe this, but like an escaped animal from a zoo. Yeah. She's, uh, was it, is that Nell, that movie? Tay in the Wind, Nell? Is that? <laughs> she's gone feral is basically yeah. what has happened. And, right. um, not so feral that she doesn't know how to erect a force field behind her, but yeah. feral enough that she is like almost nonverbal as they try to discuss, you know, yeah, like terms imagine of her surrender. if the TNG episode where everyone de-evolved, uh, like a part of the story was also that they all still knew how to use the computers yeah, in their yeah. de-evolved state. Yeah, like Razorback Gorilla Wharf is uh, <laughs> is like crushing it at chess down in the. <laughs> 
<laughs> down in 10 forward. Yeah. But he's how, also how much, super dangerous and spitting poisonous acid on everyone. How much scarier is Spider Barkley when he's wielding eight phasers at the same time? <laughs> he's really general grievousing. Yeah. The doc runs down the diagnosis as as he was able to get done. A kind of an, inc- an incomplete diagnosis is what he's able to do. And he tells yeah. Captain Janeway... That uh, she's gone through some changes, one of which includes a back cyst, which yeah. we never see. I I wanted to see it. I wanted to just make sure it didn't look like a nubbin, you know? Hard agree. I mean, for all the great makeup work we get here on the Kess character, like the weird the weird palms, the constant sweat. Yeah, the, the rings below the eyes. The contact lenses and stuff. You got to show me that back sack. Show me the sack. Yeah. My neck, my back, my reproductive sack. (laughs) (laughs) There will never be a better title to this episode than that. Why even try? This is a great moment for Captain Janeway because... Like a hostage negotiator, her essential humanity and goodness shines through here. We've got a crew person in danger who's going through a thing. There's no way Chakotay could have done this. No. Chakotay doesn't have that essential element. He would have just been reading uh, inspirational calendar quotes right. to Kess. What Janeway says works, and it gets Kess to lower the force field. And she runs to Janeway like... A daughter running for the embrace of their mother. Like, there is something very maternal about this moment that isn't mine for anything further, but it's something I definitely noted. Mm-hmm. It's a very sweet moment. One distracting part of it is that when Cass is like, hey, did he tell you about the weird thing growing on my back? Janeway, like, feels it up a little bit. <laughs> and recoils in, like, it's a real gross out for her. Yeah. She's like, uh, okay. Guess I'm going to come back in a, in a, I just need to recover. Guess explains to Janeway that her body is going through a lot of changes. And one of those is that just kind of a lot of body hair. Mm-hmm. More mm-hmm. than you'd think, more than you can see, given, given the uniform being worn. Yeah. This is another thing that they chose not to show us with makeup that I wished that they had. Yeah. But elogium is, is basically Okamba for puberty. And it's like a one-shot deal. I guess it's. I guess because they are so short-lived, you go through the elogium, and if you are a lady Okampa, this is your your chance to become a mother. Like you gotta thread this needle at this moment. There's there's a lot to it. It's like even more complicated than giving birth as a Bajoran. <laughs> yeah. As we yeah. come to find out in this episode, if no one blasts in the back sack, then that's it. Then the back yeah. sack goes barren and, and it, no children for Kess. So it's sort of, it, it makes it an urgent situation. If she ever wants to have kids, she's got to decide right now. I got to say, like, between the previous episode that we reviewed and this one, they the, like, captain respect I am developing for Janeway is so big yeah. at this point. Because, like, the sperm cloud in space situation has not chilled out at all. And she is able to compartmentalize and, like, focus mm-hmm. all of her attention on Cass in this moment. And in a way that is necessary for the moment, she knows that her crew is on it with the with the sperm cloud. They're, 
yeah. they're working through that. There's not much she can add to that process. And like her ability to like spin both of these plates at the same time is is really cool. I think it's important to note that both quote unquote problems in the episode are scientific in nature. And because she's a scientist at her core, I think she's attracted to working out problems to both of these things in a way that many other captains might have delegated a a subject matter expert toward, you know? She checks in on the bridge with the the process and then checks in with Chakotay and she's like, well, the conversation we were having earlier about reproduction and and what we're going to do about this crew is being thrust upon us a lot faster than I thought we were going to need to have it. Seems your concerns about fraternization were prophetic. I think this conversation is fascinating. Like, if this is a generation ship, like, can we live with ourselves bringing children up aboard a 75-year journey back to a place that isn't their home? Yeah. They don't ever say the word slavery, but it almost feels like that's kind of the the tension that Janeway is considering. Like, does it does There's it sort of There's an indenturedness to the idea of a child growing up in this circumstance. The the assumption that they would have to participate in the job and the culture available there. Yeah, and that's something that Chicote gives voice to also. Like he's saying like if we're going to do this, if if that's the plan here, we need we need to start having these kids now, basically. Yes, ma'am. I actually have a couple of forms on this pad that I that I drafted <laughs> up. Like we just, we could start giving the crew if you want to if you want to check these out. They're just first drafts. <laughs> and uh, I did really like also that they cut to the just outside the door to the ready room where Kim is again standing there with a phaser, you know, set to kill. Yeah. Just ready to take the entire ship hostage if he needs to. I don't know how either of these characters could concentrate during this conversation when there's just a cloud of Mongolian beef outside the window. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very funny the way that like the lighting in the scene is like yeah. super pink because of <laughs> what's outside. <laughs> you know they couldn't do like the classic two shot of them with the window behind. It's just too distracting. <laughs> So they pick up singles for the rest of it because like, yeah, I know I couldn't concentrate on what they were saying if if that was going on in the background. I mean, they can barely concentrate. She turns to Chakotay at one point and says, listen, I know the irony of having this conversation while the ship is literally engulfed in sperm, but we have to do it right now. Kess has to decide on a baby within the next day or two. And this is the thing that has spurred Chakotay's restarting of the procreation policy. Yeah. As a as a thing to talk about. But uh this is how it starts. And how it ends is Chicote pushing on a butt like toward the end of midsummer. Like <laughs> he's gonna get too involved. Yeah. I don't want Chicote in my bedroom. I don't want him grabbing my bindle. <laughs> Coffee black. Make it yourself. I'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow. Make it yourself. Tess has to kind of pitch her situation to Neelix though. She's got basically two days for her and him to decide whether or not they are going to conceive a child. The suggestion here, both in dialogue and in body language is that they have not been physical as a couple because Neelix gets very awkward because I would want you to mate with me. 
super awkward. Like more awkward than the idea of whether or not he has to have a child is the is the procreation of that child. Right. I don't know because it like, I mean like it seems like her her reproduction is so complicated with the sticking your hands together and the foot massages and stuff that there's no like there's no unplanned pregnancy among the Okampa because it's such a baroque operation. There's a there's a really fun bit here. Like it's not so serious that it's without bits because Cass uh, is like look at look at my hands. I've got the apasa on these hands. And Neelix is like, what's apasa for? And Cass is like, bingo. <laughs> I wanted to know how all this shit worked. Like when she talks about this stuff being on her hands and that they need to be connected for six days. Like, is that because this is sticky stuff and you're, and you're like physically stuck to your mate for that long? That's like, sort of what I took away from it, which is, really intense yeah i don't think my wife would uh, would be interested in in me if if that was necessary this is like a home economics class gone awry <laughs> this is yeah. very uncomfortable neelix is like you know i'm always on the road baby i don't know if i could be around for a kid i'm uh you know i'm, I'm a rolling stone here's she's, the thing she's making the case that like you're now a rolling stone on aboard a luxury starship that yeah. you don't need to <laughs> Your stone isn't a much bigger stone. You don't even have to roll at all. Yeah. What Kess is too young to understand is... Human language? Is what you only learn after making this mistake a couple of times, which is like if you have to convince a person into going out with you or getting married or having a kid or moving far away or mm -hmm. doing a podcast with you, mm. a, a person convinced isn't a person that will bring their best to that situation. And you're just going to end up getting hurt because of it. Yeah. Kess made the classic mistake of showing up under Neelix's window late at night with a boombox to yeah. try to win him over to the idea of having a baby. Right. Yeah. That's not how it works. I mean, Neelix should probably take some time off to think about what he wants to do during the next 50 hours, but now he clocks in at the commissary because we cut back there right after this scene. There was actually a deleted scene where he goes to the doctor and he says, like, what would you do if you had something like extremely stressful that may like upend your entire conception of your life uh, happen to you? And the doctor would be like, I would just start annotating samples or or do whatever work i had to do yeah but what do i do with this and he unzips and like the <laughs> grossest penis falls out of neelix's pants <laughs> this is why i wear five layers of fabric doc <laughs> i don't want anyone to see the outline of yeah. this yeah no i'm not gonna rock this knuck <laughs> And then, like, am I supposed to, like, get on her shoulders like someone at a rock concert wanting to see better over the crowd? Like, how does it actually work? <laughs> it's not so much 69ing as it is, like, 87ing. <laughs> yeah, that's actually an, an upcoming episode of Star Trek Voyager. It's called The 87s. Right. They unfreeze a bunch of... Uh, <laughs> bunch of festival goers <laughs> yeah these people were attending an ancient earth festival called coachella 
Uh, the menu has suffered at Neelix's, which is hard to believe, really, yeah. <laughs> given what the baseline is. It's really positively Soviet mess hall in there. The customer that comes in for us to experience this with is Tuvok, and uh, we get one of our classic Neelix and Tuvok lunch conversations where uh, Neelix kind of steps to Tuvok to ask him to talk him out of it. Right. And uh, Tuvok kind of Anbo Jitsu's Neelix into talking him into it. He kind of both sides. Yeah. The the answer. He's like, only commit if you can commit. Doesn't seem like you're ready to commit, so it's probably yeah. not for you. But also, it's pretty cool being a dad. <clears throat> it is rather piquant. And not only if you have a son, you asshole. Like, there's kind of a lot happening here. Yeah. Like, Neelix as misogynist is really fully realized in this episode, but uh, I guess it's also sort of torn down toward the episode and episode's end. Have we seen a Lady Talaxian yet? I don't think we have. I'd like to see one of those. Sounds great. I mean, any, any Talaxian's better than Neelix at this point, right? <laughs> <laughs> I any think that's where I'm at with him. Port in a Talaxian storm? Yeah, so this scene ends with uh, Tuvok's not the only one enjoying a meal because uh, Neelix has, is going away from here with some food for thought. Mm. It's like these two characters are uh, two sides of the same coin. Yeah. Two sides of the same dinner plate? Yes. Maybe one of those like platters and then there's like two parts where the oh, two yeah. different courses can be. Mm -hmm. I like it. Back on the bridge, BLT is ready to implement the deflector dish cow catcher. Yeah, but, uh, I was like, oh, right. Oh, right. There's an idea for how to get out of the thing that is threatening everyone's life. It's not working because these little things are attaching themselves to the ship. And then something very bad happens. The giant version of these little things wanders out in front of the view screen. It's physiologically similar to the smaller creatures, just a lot bigger. And it's not scary looking. Like, I, I sort of wish this thing was Apex Predator looking a little bit, but it's just a blown up version of the Littles. Yeah, I mean, I think that I got to guess that the production design was trying to throw us off the scent a little bit. Like yeah. the dilemma turns to like, how do we get this thing to leave us alone basically? Mm -hmm. And if it's apex predator, it's like fight or flight. And that simplifies the conflict too much. You're right. Yeah. I mean, but like the, the conflict is really interesting, right? Like at, at a certain point, like BLT starts saying like, let's start fucking shooting our way out of this because everything we've tried has not worked and we've tried to be nice to these little space sperm, but it's uh, at, at, at this point they're like consuming our ship. How long would Janeway have let this happen before she decides to shoot is a I question that, that I think is goes unanswered here. And it's a very make position to take because it isn't long before Chakotay and Tuvok take BLT side here eventually yeah. that they need to start shooting to survive the incident. It's very interesting, like the way the advocacy shifts around this idea, because there's mm -hmm. the captain and a few other characters that are saying like, we need to be nice to these interesting creatures that we were just trying to study. And then a lot of them are like, no, like we are being like, this is a hostile situation and we need to, to treat it as such. Right. And 
We don't get a lot of time to puzzle through that in this scene because we cut down to Kes's quarters where Neelix has showed up announcing that uh, he's done the work. He's uh, he's really like worked on himself and he's ready to have a daughter. Not so fast, Neelix. She's got to get a foot massage first. Yeah. It's not uh, it's not something that the husband can do. It's got it's got to be done by uh, her parents, which is uh I mean if you're if you're nominating parental figures for Kes, I mean the fucked up answer is Neelix, but the <laughs> but the correct answer is the doctor. The doctor uh, sort of a professional parent for Kes. Yeah. Up Although to, up to as now. we learned in the last episode also sort of romantically interested in Kes, so kind of a right. weird moment and they did get a guest director for this scene uh quentin tarantino came in and uh, and directed the foot massage with the doctor scene there's no one on the ship who could give you a better foot massage than the doctor right the doctor knows all the points oh yeah he the knows, doctor all the knows points. how much pressure to apply that's got to be does, a great foot massage he has no carpal tunnel symptoms at all so oh, he can yeah. he can just keep going for hours and hours and hours yeah i if i'm kiss i'm I'm sticking around and I'm going back. Do you ever think about buying one of those like foot massage devices or like or one of those chairs that you see in like the airport lounge sometimes? A couple of years ago, I, I visited Costco with a buddy, just a random regular Costco trip with a uh-huh. pal. And they were doing one of those road shows there where they, they carp. I know you don't go to Costco very often, but sometimes they'll have like events there where the maker of an item will demonstrate that item to the people around. They do this with blenders and cookware and, and all sorts of things. But the day <laughs> you that can we make were- soup in the blender, it'll get it hot enough. Yeah. 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 And on the day that we went, they had the $20,000 massage chairs. <laughs> with it you get in and they're so poofy that that your limbs sink into yeah yeah the, the things they're like channels for your arms and legs to be inside of i've had a sports massage or two from a professional and this chair was the best massage i've ever had in my life <laughs> the thing that made it that was the simultaneity of everything. Like it is your entire body getting worked at once, not just one one yeah. part. And it was <laughs> we couldn't help but start laughing. Like it was incredibly <laughs> pleasurable. Wow. And it and it like I'd never had my forearms massaged that hard. Yeah. And this chair I thought that this chair had the power to break my limbs. It was massaging <laughs> me so hard and I fucking loved it. It was great. So I've never like, been able to relax enough during a massage to enjoy it. So, and I think that, and I think that if it was a chair and not a person, I might be able to give up some of what, yeah, what holds me back. Highest possible rating for twenty thousand dollar massage chair is what I'm saying on the show. That is, it is a wonder. You, I recommend you think it. that the Uxbridge Shibata Corporation could like put one of those on layaway or something? What it's made me do is like very passively when I'm looking for Airbnbs or something to stay at. Like I've every every once in a while I've come across places with that massage chair in it. And I'm like, Damn. oh fuck. Like maybe this is the one. I haven't been <laughs> able to stay in a in a place with one, but like what a benefit. Yeah. No kidding. I'm not leaving that chair. You got that it's chair and a glass of uh, tequila and soda in your hand. And a long straw. Cause uh 
I'm keeping my arms in those things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good time. Of course, it's locked in. Do it. Listen to me very carefully because I'm only going to say this once. Anyway, the doctor probably as good as that chair. Yeah, and uh, Cass is, you can tell she's really enjoying it because she's got data eye at this point. We were told that her tongue was going to get swollen by by the foot massage, and I'm sad we didn't get, like, inability to speak. <laughs> I've got a swollen tongue. I'm really feeling a lot of big feelings right now, doctor. <laughs> and, it's, and it's probably the hormones, but... <laughs> and then they need to be a parent. <laughs> Is Nils really be a parent? I mean, he's much, much older than me. He's... Literally 10 times older than me, if not more, but he's also a fucking idiot. Yeah, he's really good at the flipping pass. <laughs> <laughs> not better than I thought you'd be. You're really kidding. Have you ever thought about us going together? Like, seeing if that would work? I mean, I've never thought about my hologram, I don't know, complex. Could it work? Maybe it could. Maybe it's like it would go. A lot of second thoughts happening here at Six Pack. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait to hear what Descript does with that. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> All the doc can do is offer kind of a tour of Star Trek species' unique cultural child-rearing philosophy. So it's not like the doc actually has advice, no. really. It's Kess more or less coming to this conclusion on her own. Yeah. My wife recently had... Uh, like work advice question to ask me. And I was like, I don't work with anyone. It's like it's me and Adam and like a couple of other people. Like I don't have, I, it's I me don't and know Adam to like, and Adam hates me. I don't have to, I don't know how to do office politics. <laughs> I've never done it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the scene ends ambiguously because Kess admits she has some more growing to do, but in the context of her statement, I couldn't be sure that a decision was made here. Like, yeah. Growing to do could mean that she still has 30 hours left to decide. It's going to be go time very soon. And we're getting like late in the episode at this point. I think we've got six minutes left or something like that. And and not much has been resolved. Chakotay's kind of figured it out. He looks at the view screen and he points at the big one and he's like, uh, that big one over there looks like it's trying to fuck. And uh, I think we may be getting in the way of that. I mean, look at this place. This is a fully functional babe lair. We are being treated as a sexual rival, and so let's just get out of here. If we bug out, if we can find a way to clear the swarm, the little guys will just want to fuck the big guy, and they'll leave us alone. He's like, I know what I'm talking about. My animal guide loves to fuck. <laughs> we are frequently in competition. My animal guide is... um. This is a bit embarrassing, but it's a sperm, and uh, <laughs> it loves swarming yeah. on big My animal guide is kind of all animals for that reason, so... <laughs> the ship full-on gets tail-whipped by the big slug guy. Yeah. They Not get a in, great effect. They... They're they're fighting this thing and 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 like more and more senior staff are falling into the let's start fucking shooting yeah. camp. And it's it's Chicote, it's Tuvok, it, like it's everybody. And they're like, This is an emergency, Captain. We need to get out of this shit. Captain Janeway pushes in a VHS 
copy of Galaxy's Child. And she's like, <laughs> we cannot ever let this happen again. <laughs> According to George Lucas, Galaxy's Child shot first. <laughs> They decide that, like, maybe what they need to do is kind of like a more aggressive posture, like fight the creature. And so they start ramming it. Uh-huh. And, uh, and, and this is when Chakotay comes up with the, like, like ramming it's not working at, running is not working at. What we need to do is like the golden retriever mm-hmm. technique. We need to show it our belly, show it that we're a, we're a submissive creature uh, and it's a dominant creature. And so they, they like they wind up coming up with the idea of like dumping plasma to make the ship look blue and then like turning the ship's belly over. Yeah. They blew the ship. They blew the ship. Blow up the damn ship. Paris isn't used to being the, the beta in situations like this, and neither is Kim. Yeah. You can tell this rubs both of them the wrong way. Yeah, they hate it. But it works. Tuvok says, It would appear we have lost our sex appeal, Captain. And uh I've never encountered a line in Star Trek that more succinctly describes you and me since we started a Star Trek podcast. (laughs) It's also so clearly the line of dialogue they began with and then wrote outward from there. (laughs) You know, like this is how you pitch the episode. It's great. It's, It's the line of dialogue in the preview, you know? Yeah. I was pretty surprised by this next moment. Kess comes down to the restaurant and announces no baby. This ain't happening. Yeah, I mean, there's been a passage of time here, clearly, because the cold shoulder she's getting from Neelix is the result of him having known this for a while. Kess is like, what's up, big guy? You're hardly talking to me anymore. Is it because I made that decision about not having a child? It's a very interesting scene, I think, both because of how the characters are set up, but also because of how much we didn't get. Like, yeah. there wasn't the part where, like, her symptoms started to recede and the doctor was like, wow, it seems like something, something field from aliens has stopped a- interacting with your reproductive system or whatever. Right, right. It's all retrospective. And she, like, tries to cheer him up. She's like, hey, like, maybe I'll elude him again. It's totally possible based on what the doctor has been telling me. I think there are a lot of good things happening in this scene. And part of it is, like, just the conflict between how selfish and selfless parenthood can be. Right. Because, like, Neelix is obviously bummed about missing out on his opportunity to be a parent while at the same time, you know, in, in, in a couple scenes previous, like getting psyched about the idea of having a, a child to imprint on, you know, to to have a relationship with. And I'm, right. I'm sure Kess, though not given the chance to articulate this in dialogue, but like you can feel both ways about the idea of parenthood. And in this very short scene, I think we're getting a couple of different runs at those feelings. This is oversimplification, but if I'm like... We're getting burritos for dinner. Hell yeah. And then like something changes and we wind up needing to get falafels for dinner. I'm going to be disappointed a hundred times out of a hundred. Yeah. Just because not that I don't like falafels. Once my button gets pushed for burrito. Yeah. I'm like, 
Yeah, I'm looking forward to burrito. Once you, know? you scoop a bunch of dirt in that hog, <laughs> you got a blast. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of what Neelix is going through. He talked himself all the way in. And yeah, and one, the second he was all the way in, the thing he was talking himself in for went away. And irrespective of its relationship to parenthood, like the great disappointments of one's life, I find are often just after the expectation of of getting what you want or the success that you feel like you're about to achieve and not and not getting it like yeah. that's what makes the pain so acute is being so close to the thing and then and then not getting it the thing i wanted though in this scene was neelix honoring how painful this must have been for kes yeah like, she's the one that really went through it and he like I mean, he does this all the time. He makes everything about himself, but she went not only through the emotional journey that he did, but also through an incredibly challenging physical journey, you know? It's not an either or, but I feel like so often on the show, we're made to interpret it that way, that that because Kes is an empathic alien, her only ability is to show empathy for other people. Right. And it's okay for some reason for Neelix or anyone else to not uh, show empathy for her. But right. like, there's enough of that to go around. You don't have to make the empathy street one way. Yeah, and we would like Neelix more if he was, if, if he was considering her position more. Yeah, and I'm not against a shitty character on a show. I would just want them to be interesting. And this is the problem with Neelix that's getting solved, I feel, as we go. He's becoming more interesting to me. But yeah. that isn't getting solved with Chakotay. Like, at least make them interesting. Yeah. At the very least, make yeah. them interesting. So it may not be Kez's last chance at a back bag. Yeah. Uh, and that's sort of the uh, the hope that we hang on to if we're, if we're thinking of making a child, if you're Kes and Neelix. Yeah. I mean, that's the other part of it too, though, is like, it is, it is merely a hope. Like they just have their fingers crossed that she can elogium again mm -hmm. and she may not be able to, they don't know. And that's like, that's another thing that he should be like really, really trying to be there for her on and yeah. Be the sort of partner that someone would want to elogium with is yeah. a, yeah. Don't make it about the other person. Be a better person yourself. There is a very interesting button on this episode, Adam. Captain Janeway admires her framed picture of Tom Mervyn's when who enters her quarters is Ensign Wildman, and she's got an announcement to make. She wheels in an improvised explosive device and says, uh, I've got an announcement to make, Captain. <laughs> And you're not going to find out until I light this fuse. <laughs> <laughs> and then we cut to the exterior. Uh, half of the ship is blown apart by this. A, a massive explosion in space with pink smoke yeah. trailing out of, uh, I mean, like, like there, it, and it's, you can tell the center of the explosion is the captain's ready room and just like a huge plume of pink smoke comes out of it. You know, Ensign Wildman could have solved the problem uh, ten, min ten minutes ago if she had lit this thing off inside the swarm of these beings because uh, oh, that blue yeah. smoke would have come in handy back then. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Ensign Wildman is with child 
and uh her man is is back on deep space nine as far as she knows so she's uh she's gonna be doing this solo parent style for the time being that quality of a person on this ship feeling like it's all i have of the person i left behind yeah like oof that's a killer that's so rough and it yeah and it's so understandable that she would be grieving the partner who helped create this life and now like it's it's so much heavier of a thing very interesting that they just kind of use all of the dialogue at this point from the scene where Data walks in and tells Picard that he has had a child, quote unquote. <laughs> uh, Janeway is none too happy and, uh, you know, says like, you should have reported this to Starfleet cybernetics. Yeah. What are you doing? It's weird. Like Captain Janeway throws a ball at Ensign Wildman's belly and uh, she doesn't catch it. Yeah, like, she puts her hand up like three <laughs> seconds later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so this is going to be an ongoing story, right? Seems, seems like it. We're going to meet a baby, Adam. Now might be a good time to bring this up. Ensign Wildman is played by Nancy Hauer, and uh, this name is not just a writer coming up with a name. Samantha Wildman was the name of a little girl who died in an accident and her parents donated their daughter's organs to the writer of this episode's wife. Wow. She received one of the girl's kidneys. And so as a as a way to honor the girl, the writer Jimmy Diggs named this character after the little girl. And because the little girl was so fond of, of little animals, the character is a biologist, a xenobiologist specifically. Wow. So, so that's like a little behind the character. No kidding. To Samantha Wildman. It's a, you know, you think all the time, it's just a writer matching a first name and a last name that sounds good uh, when spoken. And that's just how a character name is made. But every once in a while you get some intentionality to it. And that's the case here. That is really interesting. Um, I, uh, I, I had not known that. Did you like this episode, Adam? Objection noted. We'll do this without you. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. There were so many fun things to talk about with you about this episode, but just like doing the math on it, the effects are worst of breed terrible. It elevates Neelix into a primary story forwarding role for the ep, and he does a terrible job with it. He's very unlikable throughout the episode. Chakotay, <laughs> just as unlikable, if not more unlikable than Neelix in their wow. in their race to the bottom. But the essential question, like, and here it is again, like the question is so interesting and only half of the time is it articulated in a way that that is interesting to me. I, I'm going to say I didn't like the episode, though I am hopeful that the questions wow. raised here will be chopped up in a more elegant way going forward. I just, this is not a strong ep, unfortunately, in my eyes. I did like the episode. I I think like last week's episode kind of felt like it started to grapple with things that I wanted the show to begin considering in season one. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've seen four episodes in this season, and I think 
three of them should have been season one episodes, not season two episodes. Like yeah. this, this stuff feels like it should have been developed a lot earlier. But that said, I did like the episode. I thought centering it on Kess was really interesting. I mean, like I, I think that it's possible for them to be writing Neelix as a piece of shit. And mm-hmm. I don't think he comes away from this looking great, but I don't think that that's necessarily unintentional. And I really liked the kind of like inverted AB story thing where where Kess's elogium dilemma becomes the kind of main focus of the episode and the existential threat to the shit. Like that that feels like like some of the best TNG episodes do that. Like, right. And, it's um, so it's so hard that Neelix's affection for Kess is self-centered yeah yeah i agree he's the weakest part of this and it's unfortunate that that's like i mean i think that that's just like something about the way hollywood thought about Mm -hmm. boys and girls hugging and kissing relationships in this era and it's unfortunate and it clangs harder and harder the further away we get from this time period you know I feel like the only viable outcome to save Neelix's character for me is if he were to let her go in a, if you love something, let her go kind of way. Wow. Because his possessiveness of her is just a really ugly trait, especially when combined with all of the other attitudes he brings to bear. Right. With any, with anything involving her. Like if you're Paris and you're not trying to fuck Cass, you're just a pal Eventually, you're going to pull Kess aside and be like, are you okay? Like, is everything all right over there? Because from his perspective, from Paris's perspective, I would wonder. I'd start yeah. to be a little concerned. That would be uh, that would be a nice thing to start seeing in some of these episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Adam, you know what else would be nice to see is uh, some priority one messages in our inbox. You want to go over there and see what's going on? You're two for two on pivots, Ben. You pivoted us into the show, and then you pivoted us into P1. So good job. Last week's episode, you really like hit a hit a dinger on the P1 pivot. So I'm just yeah. I'm just trying to live that's, in your example. That's why I'm not trying so hard this episode. <laughs> Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income. Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. By the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first priority one message is of a promotional nature. Oh the message goes like this. Over the summer of 2020, I recorded an album of instrumental music that I thought sounded like video game soundtrack. Not like a jazz horse or suck disc game. One of those independent video games. Maybe one of the ones where you run and jump, but don't yeah. murder anyone. <laughs> I also got really cool album art commissioned for it that I think is worth looking at. Kind of a Blade Runner meets Legend of Zelda. Anyway, check it out at redskyphenomenon.bandcamp.com or your favorite music streaming service. So uh, so this is an original album of instrumental music by Red Sky Phenomenon. I'm I'm on Red Sky Phenomenon's Bandcamp right now, and there's also an album called The Bottle Episode. So, uh, whoa! So uh, Red Sky Phenomenon has gotten prolific because uh, we're already up to two albums. Yeah. Yeah. Check it out. Yeah, Red Sky Phenomenon. Bandcamp. Com is where you can hear it. 
Adam, we have another priority one message here. It's from Xander Butel. It's to Sam Nitz. Hey. That's a we buddy know of that ours. guy. Goes like this. Congratulations on your engagement to Ben Takai. Sam, you introduced me to TGG in 2016, and my life has been far better for it. Thank you for all your work to help elect progressive women candidates and your limitless warmth and wit online. Mazel tov. P.S. If Ben and Adam also have congrats, maybe it could be in the voice of Kern? He's my favorite. I find myself at this wedding, yet I do not remember being invited. I wish I remembered being asked to get up here and deliver this speech because I would have written something down ahead of time. Instead, I am at a loss. I have a feeling, though I am not positive, that I prefer a buffet-style mealtime and not a seated, plated meal. But I forgive Ben and Sam. Ben, Sam, congratulations on this most auspicious of days. I would say the one thing I can remember is when I found out about John Mahoney. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Hey, any friend of Sam is a friend of ours. So thanks for the P1, Xander. It was really cool. Yeah, and mazels, Sam and Ben. Ben, our final priority one message is from a friend of DeSoto, period. There's a period at the end of that. Oh, wow. There sure is. <laughs> and it is to everyone. The message goes like this. The internet is both fraught and valuable. It allows individuals to speak freely to a wider audience than ever before, but it also has a dehumanizing effect. Creators may forget the diverse experiences of their audience. The rabble may forget that content creators are nuanced flawed and ever-changing all must work to remember our shared humanity well said friend of DeSoto yeah good message yeah good to remember well if if you remember one of the many ways to support the greatest generation priority ones are a great great way to do it you can put yours in the hopper by going to maximumfund.org slash Jumbotron, and uh, they really help with the production of the show. You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time, but I don't like bullets, I don't like friends, and I don't like you. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! Here's what the doc got to do. (laughs) He got to massage some feet, and he helps Kes realize the mistake of a lifetime in in committing... (laughs) with Neelix to parenthood. So, I mean, little column A, little column B. <laughs> the Doc's my drunk Shimoda. What about you? He's my drunk Shimoda as well. The thing we learned in the last episode is that he may he may sweat Cass a little bit. And uh, I mean, like, I think he's the kind of person that can like set that aside for the interest of I'm massaging your feet and your tongue is going to swell up. And I'm like interested in that from a scientific standpoint. Right. But uh, let's see how big we can make that tongue. (laughs) That really like that, that really like hung over every interaction he had. with. It's too big. It's too big. (laughs) There's no such thing as too big, baby. (laughs) 
fire apart then. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, daily double. Wow. Yeah. All right, Adam. Next time on The Greatest Generation, we are going to be reviewing Season 2, Episode 5 of Star Trek Voyager. It's called Non Sequitur. Engine Harry Kim awakens on Earth. Where he's shocked to learn that there's no record of his assignment on Voyager? It was all a dream. He used to read Word Up magazine, Salt and Pepper and Heavy D up in the limousine. Wow. Hanging pictures on his wall. Every Saturday, rapper attack Mr. Magic Molly Mall. This is another one of those, like you can see it, right? This is another one of those cold opens. Oh, like, yeah, I uh, bet. Harry Kim rolls over, hits the, hits the snooze <laughs> on his alarm. But wait a second. That's his bedroom clock radio. What's he back doing back here? San Francisco. What yeah. the hell? Wow. I am excited for a Harry Kim-centric episode. I'll tell you that much. I am too. Not Inject enough that of those in my for my taste. Yeah. I'm ready to do a rail of that. I'm ready to cram some of that into my urethra. <laughs> <laughs> but first, we got to find out how we're doing it, Adam. Of course, we go to gach.biz slash game, where we keep the game of buttholes, the will of the caretaker. Hey, Dan, my name is Adam. I'm from Seattle. Cis, male, 40s. Uh, I'm really into cramming Star Trek <laughs> characters into my urethra. <laughs> Is there a name for this? My partner just doesn't understand. <laughs> but it's the only way I can blast. <laughs> How do you even do that? We are on square 86, Adam. We are on the doorstep of yeah. a Measure of a Man episode and uh, not too far from a The Traveler episode, which would, uh, that, that that doesn't affect the way the episode gets done, but it moves the runabout five spaces forward. Oh, yeah. So, and uh, five spaces forward off of The Traveler would put us six away from a Mornhammered episode. So yeah. that puts it in play. Puts it in play. I wonder what would happen if the Traveler met Banjo Man. This is sort of the the Star Trek Royal Rumble I've always wondered about. Like if you put the apex godlike characters together, like a right. Kevin, Kevin a versus Q, Traveler versus versus, yeah. versus like, caretaker. Who even gets thrown over the top rope in that match? I don't know. That like eventually. Star Trek will be a big enough franchise that there will be like an HBO Max original film mm -hmm. about Traveler versus Caretaker, right? Yeah. <laughs> but until we get to the scene where they both find they, out their mom is named Martha, we just have to review the old Trek that we've got. They found my wife's body, <laughs> dumped in the water. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm going to give this thing a roll. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Olivares! Drink! It's the antidote! Wow, Adam. I didn't even call this out because I didn't think it was possible that I would roll a six, but we have landed not on the measure of man, not on the caretaker, but on the Neelix's galley. What? We're on uh, square 92, Neelix's galley. 
in oh, which wow. we drink Talaxian champagne. Hey, that sounds like a delight. I, I, and by I do that, like a bubbly it's just wine. A, it's just a bottle of champagne. That's all. That's the thing. Yeah, we we call it Talaxian. Love it. Hey, listen, you can't legally call it Talaxian <laughs> champagne if it's not from the champagne region of Talax, all right? Right. Ah, uh, yes. It's a lot like Star Trek, the next generation. In many ways, it's superior, but will never be as recognized as the original. Which, unfortunately, was subjected to uh, <laughs> a weapon of mass destruction and no longer <laughs> no longer produces the grape. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a real shame. If you can get yourself a bottle, yeah. it's a delight. One of the last remaining bottles in the universe. Yeah, well, this this is not the last remaining episode of Greatest Gen, Ben. We keep on rolling. We do. And it's thanks to the help of our many friends at DeSoto. Yeah, we really appreciate everyone that heads to MaximumFun.org slash join and sets up a membership. Um, this is not a bad time to say... That uh, one thing we observe every year is that after the Max Fund Drive, there is a fairly steep drop off of monthly support because unscrupulous people join for one month and get the bonus content and then cancel their subscriptions. And, it's the uh, fucking tea enthusiasts, man. I knew it. They <laughs> they just wanted to offer up enough money to get the the tea glass with the special orange tea and then they're gonna fucking bail cancel their membership yeah fuck you tea people don't do that don't game the system don't don't game the system like nobody is getting rich here we actually do need the support (laughs) and we really appreciate the folks that support the show and stick with the show once they set their support up so uh, maximumfund.org slash join is where you do that uh, we also really appreciate everyone that leaves a nice review on Apple Podcasts. If you ask a question in your review, we may answer it in a future Marin on the show. Yeah, we want to keep doing that. We want to keep aing those cues. So make make them some good ones. And, yeah. uh, and a five-star review is a great way to do it. Yeah, great, great way to do it. And uh, we got to thank our buddy Bill Tilly, who is our social media director. Uh, he is, of course, running the greatest trek twitter and instagram accounts really fun follows great way to uh dip your toe into the broader greatest gen community yeah if you're online and a and a fan of greatest gen you know who bill tilly is yeah get involved you should also join some of the other uh great communities there's communities on facebook reddit discord at drunkshimoda.com there's a uh, wikia about the show. Lots of lots of great places all over the internet to hang out with friends of DeSoto and uh, goof around and be fun and positive. Yeah, things have really gotten better online. I say that <laughs> ominously. <laughs> like it won't be played back at me in a courtroom environment. <laughs> hey, how long has it been since you've made a lasagna? Mmm, too long. How would you like to know a great way to make one? I don't know this for sure, but I'm almost positive that that recipe and more are available on uh, on the Adam Ragusea channel of YouTube, a place that I go personally to learn how to make great things better than I've been making them over the years. Maybe learn how to grow a tomato while I'm at it. Uh, He's just great, and like 
The reason that Adam Ragusea became wildly popular as a YouTube chef is because he's great at making the videos that he does. Like, best of breed stuff from yeah. him. Easy to follow recipes that are, like, inventive and will give you ideas about stuff to do in other food that you're cooking that aren't just the recipes that he's showing you. So you're going you're gonna to learn a ton. We are very lucky to have Adam Ragusea as a buddy. That's right. I gotta go uh, with, visit his compound to yeah. the point. With that, we will be back at ya next week with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager and an episode of The Greatest Generation Voyager where we are shocked to learn that there is no record of our podcast. Oh, it's finally happened, hasn't it? <laughs> the powers that be have, have deleted our show. Why did you guys start a Star Trek podcast with Season 2, Episode 5 of Voyager? Oh, that would be a nightmare. <laughs> that one episode would have a thousand ads on it. Maximumfun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.